Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Sergeant First Class John Valentine. Welcome to the Veterans Be Real podcast. Here's where we try to keep it real and do our best to help all our fellow veterans out there. This podcast will hopefully open our veterans' eyes into the transition and challenges they are facing and give them some guidance along the way. Please subscribe and download our podcast. We look forward to you, your insight, and your loyalty. Thanks for listening. And now, here's Veterans Be Real. Because we are the brave. Yes, we are the brave. We'll fight you in the name of the brave. We are the USA. For those unaware, that flag is still there. It's our future to save. Stand of the brave, the USA. All right, good afternoon to all you veteran Be Real listeners out there. Sergeant Be Real, I'm back again. Today I have Trace Johansson. All right, so Trace is a Marine veteran. He has got a lot of experience, a lot of things going on in his life right now, and he's he's volunteered to come on the show, kind of let you guys know what it's like to be a Marine, get out, and then start a life on the civilian sector. So, Trace, the floor is yours, my friend. Hey, Nick, thanks so much. Like Nick said, my name is Trace Johansson, U.S. Marine Corps veteran. Probably tell you where it all started. It all started when I failed out of college. So I went to Texas A&M straight out of high school. Turns out I was not ready to, to have the discipline to study, but I sure did like drinking and skipping class. So I did a lot of that. And what's interesting about a state school like Texas A&M or Cal College, as some of us call it, as long as the checks keep cashing, they let you stay there for a long, long time. So I lasted for almost three years digging a hole when finally they asked me to go home to drink beer. Uh, turns out I, I liked drinking beer at College Station a lot, but didn't have much of a choice. Having been working since I was 14 years old in construction, the first thing I did after going home with my tail between my legs was get a job in construction. And this is 1999. And that worked great for a couple of years. I had a bachelor pad with some friends of mine. I'm a, I'm a fourth generation Marine. So my great grandfather was in Haiti, a horse Marine in Haiti in 1917. Wow. My grandfather was a SBD Dauntless dive bomber in the Marine Corps at Guadalcanal. And my dad was a Mustang, so he was an enlisted guy, and then went to OCS and went to fly helicopters for the Marine Corps in Vietnam. So that's always been in my family. My, my, my mom's side, my grandfather was a hump pilot in Burma, so he flew C-47s. So, oh, my grandmother on my dad's side was a naval supply officer. Nice. So I've got a long history of military. So that was kind of always in the background. So I'm, I failed out of college. I'm working construction because it's all I've known since I was 14. And the fall of 2001 rolls around and 9-11 happens. So I spent about a week, of course, reeling and upset and angry. And I'm about to be 24 years old at this point. And I decided to go ahead and enlist in the Marine Corps. So I went in and signed up on September 18th, 2001. And I walked in and told my boss that I had to leave for uh, boot camp in a few months. And uh, he asked if I was insane. And I said, yeah, I uh, probably am a little insane. So from there, I went to boot camp. And my dad was a Paris Island Marine, which is East Coast. He's from Carolina. And I went to San Diego. Now, in Marine Corps, we're called Hollywood Marines. So, of course, my dad took the, ch- the opportunity to bust my chops every chance he got and Ask me questions like if I got issued Oakley's in boot camp and if they taught us how to surf during boot camp. So from there, I was 0311 MOS for you Army cats. It's 11 Bravo for everybody else. It's a regular old infantry dude. 
but I was snookered by my recruiter into signing up for what they call super grunts, security forces, which sounds really, really, really cool. And they've got some pretty awesome organizations like Fast Fleet Anti-Terrorism Security Team, which does neat stuff like secure the USS Cole over in Yemen when that happened. But the dark side of that is basically standing firewatch, standing guard. Guess what I got? I got a guard. You got guard duty, yeah. And so there's two places to go in the Marine Corps for that particular job. One of them is over in Kings Bay, Georgia, just north of the border, just north of Jacksonville, Florida. And on the West Coast, it's right outside of Seattle, uh, Bangor Naval Subbase. And so I'm like, I grew up on the East Coast. I want the South. Definitely want to go to Georgia. Well, first I want to go fast. If that doesn't work, I want to go to Kings Bay, Georgia. And nowhere on there, anywhere did I write Seattle. So what did the Marine Corps give me with the big green weenie? Seattle. Yeah. Seattle. Yeah. <laughs> so I spent after gunslinger school, as they call it, security security forces school. I spent about 25 months in the Pacific Northwest, and and I I loved it and I hated it. Right? You know, a, a bitching marine is a happy marine, as we like to say. And I did a lot of bitching, but I also was smart enough to know because by this time, you know, I'm 24, almost 25, so I'm grand old man of the Marine Corps. But I knew there's a tremendous amount of really cool outdoor stuff you can do up in the Pacific Northwest. So I suck it up and put on my issue rain gear and I go hike in the rainforest and I take Marines out of the barracks like, hey, we're going to go hike up Mount Jupiter. Like, oh, we don't want to go on a hump, you know, a ruck march. I'm like, no, no, no. There's humping and there is hiking. We're going to hike. It's like nature. We're going to stroll. We only got to carry as much weight as we want to carry. We're going to stop and take smoke breaks. We take a, glass, a bottle of whiskey if we want to. We're going to go take pictures and enjoy ourselves. It's not a, it's not a force march. So I get Marines out of the barracks and we do cool stuff like that in between training down at Fort Lewis, which I'm sure a lot of you army cats would know well. Yeah, I know Fort Lewis pretty well, yeah. That was the nearest base where we could do any kind of outdoor training. So that was a a two-year gig in my four-year enlistment. So then I went back to what we in Marine Corps called the fleet, the big Marine Corps, to the infantry unit. So for any Marines listening, you know exactly who I was. I was an infantry guy who went to security forces, so didn't learn a lot of infantry, didn't have to go through a lot of the stuff that the boots in the fleet do. And I came to the fleet as an E4, a corporal in Marine Corps, and didn't know a lot about infantry, but at least I was smart enough to know what I was dumb at. So I, I did a lot of listening and I learned a lot from those guys. I went to 2nd Battalion, 4th Marines, the magnificent bastards at Camp Pendleton, California in 2004, right as they got back from a terrible deployment to Ramadi. In fact, they wrote a book in, called Echo and Ramadi about that. There's a lot of a lot of guys got killed. So I joined the battalion right as they're coming back. So for me, I was, I, I was pretty disappointed because I thought we were going to go to the fleet and go deploy to the sandbox. And instead, I caught a battalion on a return stroke going into post-deployment leave and then rolling back, right back into to workups. So I went through that and we got orders to deploy to Okinawa, Japan on what they call a unit deployment program or UDP. That basically means all right, this is 2004, 2005 timeframe. So all this war going on in the sandbox. So where do they send my ass? To the jungle, to Westpac, to the South China Sea, right? Because the Marine Corps always has at least one infantry battalion that is jungle trained. Uh, and that was us. That was 2-4 on what they call the 31st Mew Marine Ex- Expeditionary Unit, or, or the Dirty Worst, as a lot of us like to call it. So... For my last two years in Marine Corps, between training up for it, we went over to Okinawa for the last eight months of my enlistment and trained in the jungle, got on ship, did shipboard training, trained Filipino Marines, 
jumped out of helos, did some some fun stuff, but it was all like riding the pine bench because while we're doing this goofy stuff in the jungle, there's real war going on over in Iraq. So I actually got out of the Marine Corps right after the Okinawa deployment. I was a little bit disappointed because I didn't go deploy to the sandbox, but I was 28 years old by this point. So I'm, I'm getting out, I'm picking up Sergeant E5, now 28. So this is kind of where the transition, the first transition starts. I had a different perspective because I had I had worked in the civilian world a little bit, like in construction. I had two and a half, three years of college. So I had a little bit of different experiences. And I had the fortunate experience while in the Marine Corps to really figure out that I wanted to go back to college and I wanted to get into business. When I started in, in, at AM, I was in engineering. And it's a very hard subject, especially at AM. But I realized I had more of a business mind. I was also a bit of a closet computer nerd. So I liked technology and I liked the application of technology in business. Right. So I kind of had a path charted. And the last week when I was at Camp Pendleton, kind of checking out like in, in total skate mode, I remember talking to the sergeant major and I had talked to the career planner or career jammer, as we like to call them. And they're like, oh, you know, if you re-enlist, you can do X, Y, and Z. I'm like, that's, that's not happening. I was like, I'm going back to school. They're like, well, you could go MESEP and get commissioned. I'm like, yeah, but if I did that, I got two years of college. And then, uh, oh, the Marine Corps, another, you know, six or, you know, four or six years after that, I'm not going to make that kind of commitment right now. So I went back to school and talked my, talked my way back into Texas A&M University. I went to a couple of junior college classes and got a bunch of 4.0s, basically so I could take the transcript back down to A&M. And that was a fun experience because I had a 1.68 at Texas A&M. And I told the director of undergraduate programs I wanted to come back into school. And he says, well, most folks that transfer into the business school have like a 375 and you have a 168. I said, yeah, that's true. And you should make an exception for me. He's like, why would we do that? I'm like, because I'm 29 years old. I just came back from deployment. I've been married and divorced. And I'm not just talking about I'm going to get good grades. I brought the transcript. But I've been doing a junior college and a local college for last year to show you. And so he agreed and let me in. And I went back to class in January of 2007. So, you know, I'm 29 years old. I'm back at, on college campus. I'm growing my hair out as fast as I can after the Marine Corps because I could. So I hair down to here and a big goatee. I'm, the, I'm on like the Billy Madison in class, right? The old guy, you know. And three months later, in April of 2007, I got a FedEx letter along with 3,000 of my buddies that basically said, you're being recalled. So I, I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like, I just got back into school, right? I'm, I'm ready to graduate in about a year and I'm getting called back to the green machine. I'm like, well, you know, I don't have any kids. I'm not married anymore. I'll have time to finish this semester. So I went ahead and I decided I would go ahead and, and agree to go back. And so I called the the Marine first Marine division, um, admin shop, I actually called ops, the ops. So I said, Hey, skipper was Captain Burgess answered the phone. I was like, Hey, so I've got orders to come back to first Marine division. Okay. I'm kind of a control my own destiny kind of dude, because I know if I just follow the herd, I'm just going to get lost in the shuffle. I said, but if I come back, can I be on one of those military transition teams that embeds with Iraqis, a MIT team? and train Iraqis. He said, yeah, but you're only getting recalled for 12 months. And the first four months will be like annual training and you'll deploy for seven. And then you come back for, for one month to check out. I said, how about this? I'll give you 90 more days, Marine Corps, if you let me do this, this thing over here. 
I was like, because if I got to go back for a year, what's going back for, you know, 15 months? I'm all, my life is already screwed up, right? Like it's already completely. So, so they, they agreed and got me orders cut to, to be on a mint team. So I went back and got a haircut and put on some desert camis and started doing all the stupid annual training that you have to do for several months. And then I got on a mint team and ended up deploying with them to Ramadi in early 2008. So, so it's calmed down, obviously, a tremendous amount. Anyone who's, who's been over there knows that like by 08, ROE is different, rules of engagement. The op tempo is a little slower. Camp Ramadi is this huge, giant like base. We didn't live there. We lived Shark Base right across the river with the Iraqi army guys. We had a little house there. So we're, we're trucking right along. We're going out doing patrols with our Iraqi counterparts. We're leading them, teaching them how to patrol and handle weapons and, and do military operations on urban terrain. And we got a frag, oh, we got a fragment, fragment, fragmented order from hire that said, you and your Iraqi counterparts have 72 hours to get all of your gear and get down to Basra, which is all the way down south between like the Gulf and by Syria. You know, yeah, you know what it is. Way down yonder, yeah. So we load up all of our shit with all the Iraqis. They've got stuff piled on trailers at the Beverly Hillbillies. We got all of our stuff loaded and we had MRAPs by this time. So a couple of Humvees and a handful of MRAPs and we load up on rippets and nicotine and hatred and start heading south at a rapid 30 miles an hour. So we drove for like 36 hours straight and finally made it down there right in time to have this battalion sweep through the city after kind of the, the main battle of Basra and just clean out the rest of the Jaysh al-Mahdi guys that came over from Syria. And then from there, we just, we, we kind of got a foothold in the city and seized and held and set up a little forward operating base and you know, operate patrols like three or four a day with the Iraqis living out in the city in Basra and all the raw sewage. And by the time we, we wrapped that up, thankfully no one got hurt when we were out there and wrapped that up and came home and went back to school for round three. For those of you counting at home, Texas A&M, when I finally did finish and get my degree at the ripe young age of 31. So this is uh, May of 09. So that was kind of my time in the Marine Corps. The first enlistment was a little bit different and the recall was certainly different, but that's kind of kind of what happened yeah, to me. I'll be honest, Trace. I don't. I have. I've only met one other guy who ever got recalled after they got out. That actually physically you know, got recalled and actually went overseas after that. A lot of guys so, that got recalled would just like backfill the bases or whatever. That's exactly right. So yeah. So first of all, most people that get recalled either have a lot of training the military paid for, like you're a pilot or something really cool. Grunt, right? I'm a warm body. I'm indentured cannon fodder. But you're exactly right. I knew that if I went back and just got lost in the shuffle, I'd be like a combat replacement, but I may not even be in the zone. I could be like a barracks NCO handing out linens and pillows. Exactly. Or, Most of the guys ended up staying rear D and they were just no. supporting the unit there at the base, wherever they were. Yeah. I, I am not a rear echelon, a, a remph. Like I, I, don't, I don't do well. And that's why I called the division G3 and said, hey, I, if I come back, I want to do it on my terms because I knew I'd get stuck doing that or like, driving a truck, you know, driving over IEDs all the time. All yeah, I think a lot of that, a lot of that has to do with your age. So I think a lot of that has to do with your maturity level and what you anticipate. Cause most guys, they just like, all right, shit, they show back up and then they're, yeah. they're in the rear taking care of the, you know, rear D and doing all that bullshit while the regular unit deploys. Cause you're just a backfill. So that's well, how, at least that's how I know most of the army guys, I know they got called back. They were told, they told me, yeah, we got back, put us in uniform. We just showed up at the base and then we just basically filled in at the unit while that unit was deployed. We were the backfill. 
I said, well, yep. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a lesson in that too, right? Like, and, and yeah, because I was older and, and I mean, theoretically more mature, um, yeah, theoretically, but my whole life, I've never been like the fastest or most athletic guy or the smartest guy. Right. So, but I'm a pretty hard worker and I can be creative. Like I'm a creative problem solver. So I knew just going to your point, if I just, if I just went with all the troops, I'd just be a number, but I, so I knew I had to outthink and get out in front of that. You know, we, we're doing urban training. We're in the jungle in 2005. We're supposed to assault this town and typical, I know everybody's gonna laugh, typical Marine Corps fashion. It was supposed to be diddle diddle up the middle and they were supposed to dismount and do the town. It was all very orchestrated and kind of silly and the, and the opposing force, right? The senior guys were all going to jack you up, you know, as we kind of crazy. So I said, Lieutenant, I was like, Hey, sir, this is dumb. I was like, we need to go sneak through the jungle and set up a base of fire. And then we'll start laying down a base of fire before we come in there. So we, we went around the outside, climbed through a river, right? No one thought we we're going to cross a river, right? Cause we don't want to get wet and nasty, but we're just crazy enough to do it. Cause we knew they weren't expecting it. And we came in the back door, like we flanked them and started assaulting them. But like, I don't, I don't want to be like the, I'm, I'm never going to, to be the front of the herd. I'm never the smartest guy. I'm not valedictorian, but I can outwork and, and be creative. And that's what I was doing in that regard. And that's what I was doing when I talked my way back into Texas A&M. I was like, look, I don't have the grades, but I'm going to show you that I'm creative and I'll go down there and do the hard work. Yeah. So. And it turned out. Yeah. So that leads us to, so what are you doing now? What, what have you been up to? You started a business. Have you done anything? Where are you at now, Trace? So I work, uh, if anyone has seen How I Met Your Mother or Friends, I'm a lot like Barney Stinson or Chandler Bing. Nobody knows what I do. I'm in consulting and I work in business strategy and technology consulting. And, and if you ask my wife what I do, I talk on the phone and buy drinks for clients, which is factually true. And also I help solve business problems. There are a lot of really smart people that do, do stuff for me. When I started out out of school, I worked in internal technology for a short period of time and I went straight to work for a software firm on the consulting side that would put the software in because I enjoyed being out in the field, out on client sites, helping them solve problems. We'd solve it, we'd high five, and we'd, we'd shag ass to the next activity. So I enjoyed that quite a bit. And I worked for the software firm called MicroStrategy, a business intelligence data analytics vendor for almost six years. And then... One of the things I realized, and this is kind of part of the transition that, that really hit me, and this is kind of where what I really learned from this whole thing. Getting out and finding a job for me was not that difficult. No, I don't want to say not difficult. Finding the right job is hard. Finding a job is not, not as difficult. So I found some jobs, and they paid pretty well, and I learned some cool stuff. But as I'm going through, right, so this is like seven years after I've been out, I was making good money. And I had gotten promoted and, but I, it never really, there was something missing, right? There was a, there was a gap that I didn't have. I, I, I didn't like in the corporate world, this mentality that profit drives everything and, and money is, is king because where I'm from, it's troop welfare and Marine Corps, they say mission accomplishment, then troop welfare. Trace says troop welfare all the time. And then when you need it, they'll be there to accomplish the mission. So like, I'm, I'm a people first kind of dude. What I experienced in the civilian sector, I had a huge problem with, and that was this hypocrisy or the words not matching the actions, which sound a lot like, oh, our people are our greatest asset. So it sounds great. But what it looks like is when the chips are down and there's profits or to be had, the first thing you do is ax people. I'm like, well, I've taken accounting. I'm like, that's not an asset. That's an expense. Okay. When you're chopping from the expense line because you're trying to cut costs, now you're treating us like an expense. And I experienced that a couple of different times and I was kind of getting disenfranchised 
we, I had been laid off in, in a reduction of force of, of the firm. And I was really just, I was like, is this, is this as good as it gets? Like, how come I keep hearing about these best places to work? There have to be good places to work because I know there are some out there. I've had them for clients. People who go to work are happy to go to work. They love being there. They talk about how proud they are of taking care of their people. One time I'm watching at a trade show in Vegas, the container store is one of my clients. And they stood up in front of 5,000 people and said, hi, we're the container store. We're a home organization retailer. You know, most retailers say the customer is always right. We disagree. And I was like, what? He's like, our people come first. And we find when we take care of our people, they take care of our customers. And we have higher profit margin. And they stick around. And I was like, man, there's something to that. And so I was talking to my wife and she's like, you know, you need to go look at those best places to work list that you're always talking about and go find a really great company to work for. And so I looked around and I, I didn't want to go back into working in internal IT. I was a little bit tired of working in pure data analytics and reporting as it is, because I felt like I was just kind of tired of it. I needed to, I needed to get uncomfortable. I was starting to feel a little bit too comfortable in the, the, the business intelligence space. It was just a little bit too easy. I'm like, it's time to get a little uncomfortable and stretch and grow a little bit. And so on the best places to work list, the Dallas Business Journal that year, it was 2015, like number 16 was Southwest Airlines, which has a tremendous reputation for taking care of their people. And right behind them is Sloan Consulting. And I said, you know, I know a couple of people that work there. And I threw out this kind of belly button examination. I realized that the word that I've been missing was purpose. I didn't really have a purpose except for going and collecting a paycheck. And so... I realized I needed to find a firm that had a bigger, a bigger purpose. Slalom is, they exist to be the most impactful place any of us have ever worked. They want to be a multi-generational firm that's 100% employee-owned where our grandkids will eventually come to work. And we care about being the, the most impactful place anyone's ever worked. And our people are first. I mean, that, that that's in everything we do at, at this firm, right? We just had a town hall in, in light of all the COVID situation and our founder and CEO is like, we have never, they, we were founded in 2001. So we had the dot-com bust and then the 2008 happened. And he's was like, we have never laid anyone off for market conditions. We will never, ever put profits ahead of people. And then he laid out all the plan of all the things that we're all going to do to tighten up our belts so that we don't have to lay anybody off. And so I was really lucky that I found a firm like Slalom really puts people first in action, not just in a word. And that's in everything we do. So once the other cool thing in consulting, if, if y'all don't know, most people are traveling all the time. And I was a road warrior. I was gone either Monday night or it's a 5.45 AM to Chicago. And I was back Thursday night or Friday. So I was never around. So I couldn't do any of the local things. Like there's a play on Tuesday night that I can't go to because I'm on the road. Well, slalom, our whole deal is no and want to travel. So we have a local model where Dallas people work in the Dallas area and we go home every night. And I realized when I went home, I was home every night that I could be involved in stuff. And I started like, hey, I want to be more involved in what's happening around me. I want to be more involved in our, our town. And I met some folks here in uh, Rockwall, Texas. We're about 23 miles east of downtown Dallas. We have a pretty strong veteran population. And by strong, I mean very active participate in the community. It's not a lot of guys and gals living in the past. It's we're all proud of our service. And we have, it's a chapter we're really proud of and we're on our sleeve. And we also continue that service today. So I started getting involved in local American Legion, which everyone thinks of as smoky old Legion halls. But ours is a bunch of guys who 
are do a lot of community service and raise money and scholarships for high school kids. We have a, a, a pretty great show of force or a presence in, here in town. And then I started getting interested in just how can I give back to the city and participate in the city? And I volunteered for all the boards on our city and I was asked to join the architectural review board. I'm like, I don't know anything about architecture. And the guy's like, good, we have plenty of architects. We need people with common sense. <laughs> and I said, I have some of that. So I, I started doing that. And, and meanwhile, a, a, a seat opened up on our city council here in, in the city. And through the various volunteer organizations in town, I, you see some of the same people, like whether it's Rotary, Chamber of Commerce, Legion, it, the people that like serving, right? We like to participate. Uh, you see the same people. And so that I've been around for a couple of years and they're like, we need you to run for city council. And I'm like, my wife and I are trying to have one more baby. And we're like, ah, don't I do enough for you guys already? Like, I know, but you can take that architecture review board and set it aside and you can just do council. I said, I don't feel like that's a one-for-one one swap. They're like, it's not, but come on. So I, I ran for the city council seat and I beat my opponent in like 60 to 40. And I've been doing that since 2018. So I really enjoyed that level of participation and in my, my own small way. I, I'm trying to show the kids and there's more than just working for yourself and getting a paycheck. You got to give back. And Nick, I think like in your first podcast, you were talking about guys and gals getting out and if they're struggling, like get out and go volunteer, go do service. That's exactly right. Like if nothing else, number one, it gives you something to do. It gives you a purpose, but then you find out that you'll meet other really awesome people with great character. And then you'll have these friends that you never would have thought of because you're there. Like, I don't know if it's a, a soup kitchen or what, the, whatever it is, but you're, you're in the trenches again. Like you're, you're working on a mission over here and you're suffering kind of together and that suffering builds cohesion. So getting involved and doing that service is going to enrich anyone's life. So I, I echo what you said, Nick, like if you're getting out, you don't have a plan and you can't find a job, but you can start serving right now yep. and, and do community service. That's and a, that's a big deal out there for all you guys listening, all you ladies, gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen out there listening, all you soldiers, Marines, airmen, whatever, you get out, you know, your plate might be not too full because you're set up or you're going to go back and live with your folks. Or you're going to go back and live with a friend. You're going to find it, you know, whatever. But, you know, what we're talking about is, is you get involved in your community. It's a twofold thing. One, you meet people like Trace is saying, you meet people, you build some friendships you build, and they have common things with you because they're doing the same thing you're doing. They kind of want to help. But then you also strengthen your community where you live because you're making your community better. Therefore, you're an impact now. And that's, it's, it's a good feeling as a soldier, as a Marine, as whatever you might have been, to know that you're having that kind of impact in your own community now as a civilian. And it, and it can really drive you to be motivated to get back to school or go find that job you want or go look for a company like Trace Works for where they kind of look for you first. and then do, they, So that's, it's out there. But hell, you go volunteer in Dallas, you might meet Trace and then Trace helps you. You see what I'm saying? So it's just... That's the beauty That's of the community saying. service, man. So yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you, in the in the, I think someone called told me that day. It's called an abundance mindset. Like you act, it's not a scarcity thing. Like we're not fighting for the same stuff. There's there's more of your time and energy to give. I mean, there's three things we got: time, talent, and treasure. Right. And if you're broke, you got time and talent. You know, if you don't have any time, but you got some money and you pay someone to do stuff, that's you know that's treasure. But go give your time and your talent and meet other really great people, and it will make it'll make your life better. And and you. You know, you know, because you have faith that by doing those things, that it'll, it'll be better and it'll all pay off. And yes, you will. You'll meet other great people and those will, they'll present great opportunities. But as long as you approach it from a selfless standpoint, like the point is the service, the, the benefit, the gravy, the icing on the cake is these great relationships and this networking where you may end up getting a job, you know, 
So uh, one of the, I'm not really an entrepreneur per se. My wife built and sold a, a small company. I've got a couple of small deals in the works with some other, actually another Marine here in town, but we met through, a, again, another volunteer community service organization called Band of Brothers. And because we interact constantly in that regard, I, you start to see people's character and people are showing up every day for the boring stuff, not because they're there for the fun stuff, because they're, they're there to take or to network. They're there because they are giving. And when you start seeing those kinds of people with that kind of character, you want to associate with those people. So he and I have got a couple of ideas formulating. We're trying to build a couple of businesses here in town. But it's because we got to work together and serve together and kind of saw each other's character. It helps that he's a Marine. But yes, he was an officer, so he's got that against him. From yeah, he's on the dark side. Yeah, it's okay. You know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Darth Vader's got to be there for Luke Skywalker, right? I mean, it, this doesn't right. go where it goes. But yeah. Right. All right. This has been great, Tracy. A lot of great information to all you listeners out there. It's it's really, it's you know, I, I'm a big guy about, look, look it's, it's, it's not what's on your plate to eat. It's the attitude you have in which you have to eat. Do you have to eat? Yes. So you make the plate as enjoyable as you can make it, you eat it, right? Same deal. You know, if you're if you're not out, you're not working right now, then go volunteer. If you're working, you can still volunteer. You can do work with the Habitat for Humanity. They're everywhere. You can work with the VFWs, the DAVs, you can work all American Legion, all those different organizations, and you can find an organization in your city. If you just get on Google and you type nonprofit in Dallas, Texas, you'll find a list and then you can reach out. My nonprofit that I run. You can volunteer for our nonprofit right on our website. Click, fill it out. My volunteer coordinator calls you. We set everything up, get you in, and get you locked and cocked and, rec- you know, get in there and start volunteering and helping out. So most volunteer organizations or nonprofit organizations are like that, that are doing those type of things. But even like Trey said, he's in the city council. I'm sure his city has things going on that they need people to volunteer to help. They have cleanup days and all kind of crazy little things that could do things to be beneficial. So just get involved. Trace also mentioned stuff like the Rotary and the Lions Clubs and the and the DM, the American, all those things are, I'm, an, I'm part of my rotary in my town. I'm part of the, you know, the BNI groups. I'm part of all those different things because we've talked about this in another podcast too. It's about networking. It's about building relationships because you'll meet those ex-Marines or ex-soldiers or ex-airmen or whatever out there when you get out there in front of people and you introduce yourself and you get involved. So I want to say thank you to Trace for being on the show. It's been a great 35 or 40 minutes. So, so right before we go, Trace, there's an opportunity here now for you to anything that we can do as a veteran community that can help maybe help your, you know, whatever you're doing, whatever, a Facebook page we can go to and like and support you, a website we can check out that you want to guide us through to help us or help these veterans out there that are getting recruited, soldiers getting ready to become veterans or, or Marines, whatever. Anything like that out there you can think of, Trace, that we can give a last shout out for that. We'd like to hear it. Yeah, you know, I think if I were in a point where I was trying to generate business, this would be the time I would mentioned my business, but that's not really the mode I'm in right now. I would rather see y'all when you're transitioning, go pick a thing, like one of the many things that Nick mentioned and go out there and just start serving with some regularity. Try, try them all, but then just start showing up. Like that's going to be one of the biggest things that's going to help you find a purpose. And you'll accidentally fall into stuff you never would have thought of. Like go out there and just help other people. And then once you get into a groove, turn around and get on Veterati and, and get with like next organization. And there's, there's a whole mess of them, but go give back to other folks who are getting out and trying to figure it all out. Like help people find their purpose. I mean, I wish that this book, Tribe by Sebastian Younger, it's a short read. It's incredible. Like my buddy at mine gave it to me, this should be mandatory reading for everyone who's transitioning. Like it should be in every transition program. It's short, it's interesting. And it, it talks a lot about why we have this feeling when we get out. When I read it, I was like, oh my God, now I get it. 
we all had like a shared mission, a shared purpose. You know, after 9-11, we had a shared enemy with the COVID. We have kind of another shared enemy. And you notice that crime drops right after that because we all have kind of a, a shared focus. So I would just encourage everyone. I don't need any anything my way, but I would encourage everyone to get out there and figure out how you can serve. How can you give your time and talent back to your community to others? That's that's the one thing I would ask you to do. And th- and that's big, guys. And, and like I said, anything that, like that book, all the things that Trey talked about, check out our website under under his episode. A lot of that stuff we'll have in those links, so you can check it out. Go to Amazon, buy that book, check it out. Maybe it's a good read for you before you get out. Maybe kind of get you set up for success that way, right? So the, all these have been great little nuggets to listen to, but Trace is right, man. I'm a big guy about giving back to my community and providing for the people that are in need, right? Whether they're soldiers, veterans, civilians, doesn't matter. They live in your community, guys, and you got to make your community stronger before we do anything. Because if our community is stronger, the crime goes down because people are happy. All that stuff affects – people don't realize how much of an effect that has on a community. When the community is strong and together and they come together to help everybody, then people don't start stealing from each other. They don't do – or they, if somebody does steal – Somebody will point out exactly who it was because they don't want that in their community anymore. So just remember that you as a soldier or a veteran or whatever you are, there are things out there you could be doing that can make your community better. So just remember that. Thank you for being on the show, Trace. We appreciate you, brother. I'll be up in Dallas area probably in the next couple of weeks. So I'll definitely reach out to you. Maybe we can stop and have some lunch mm-hmm. or something and hang out. Mm-hmm. Uh, i got a buddy up there that runs Operation Once a Lifetime up there in Dallas. He's a friend of mine. He's actually in the Plano Allen area, but he runs a nonprofit up there too. And I go up there and we and him do a lot of collaborating for what we do down here at Fort Hood and what he does up there in Dallas. So, uh, but I do appreciate you, my friend. I appreciate you. My best to you and your family. And we will stay in touch. All right. Thanks so much, Nick. Take good care. We will do, sir. Thank you, sir. Well, that's a wrap, everyone. Hope you all got something out of this podcast today. Please tell a battle buddy about us and stay tuned for our upcoming podcast. Don't forget to visit our website at www.veteransbereal.com. Support us because we got your back. Till next time, everyone, I'm out of here.